But the challenge I faced was I was trading being loved. I was trading parts of me, my worthiness, I was giving away. And I'd started really developing a codependency relationship with him. Through the seven years we were together from dating to getting married to divorced, um, I had given him control over everything in my life. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. It's September 12th, as I recorded with Christina, and how are you doing? I'm so thankful that we are in season two, and I very much enjoyed my conversation with Christina Foxwell today. You may notice a little bit of, just it sounds like I'm in a tunnel. I had a little bit of problem with audio today, but we're gonna switch over soon at Persistence You with Lizbeth to Zoom. And my hope is that I will have camera, so it'll be on YouTube, You'll get to see the camera interviews often, as well as audio interviews wherever you get your podcast. So fingers crossed it will be seamless, but this is the last of the canny sound today. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great interview. We get into some really good conversation because she and I have a lot in common. Christina lives in, of course, Australia, so maybe we're living in different continents, But in some ways, in our early lives, we led the same life, both coming from childhoods where maybe we didn't have a whole lot of control, then married pretty early, and life got messy. Let's just put it that way. So it was a super fun conversation on healing. It's a great conversation on letting your challenges become your superpower, quite frankly. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I have let me know. And don't forget, I'm on Facebook. I've got a Facebook author page. Look me up. I've got it under show notes. And I get on video and chat with people on Fridays. So let's have a conversation. And thanks so much for being here. Welcome, persisters and brothers. I am so honored to have the marvelous Christina Foxwell with us today. Christina is the director of, well, she's going to tell you more about herself, but she is the director of Ignite. And she works with people, the founder of Ignite Purpose, a human-centered performance improvement coaching and training and consulting practice. So she's doing a lot. Christina is patching in from Australia, which I love. And Of course, before Christina became the director of Ignite Purpose, before that, there was another human story. And so I really want her to share some of her journey and how she became the director of Ignite Purpose, but also how um, she came to write and share from her heart experiences with other people and what she's learned along the way. Thanks so much for being here, Christina. Oh, thank you so much, Lizbeth. It is such a pleasure. Um, what a beautiful introduction as well. And yes, I'm dialing into the US from beautiful Australia in your evening and in my morning. How good is that? I love it. So it is, as we're recording this, it is for me in the Eastern Standard Time, 
it's in the evening. And for you, it's the next day. I just love yeah, that. I'm living it's in the future. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> As I see you, the future looks brilliant. Beautiful. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. Thanks for being willing to share your story too. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think, um, you know, if I think back about how human civilization was formed, it was always based on stories. And I think based on how our society is constructed, we struggle to tell our stories because we are fearful of judgment or of being pushed out or of, you know, people saying really awful things. And so we hide our stories. But the problem is when we hide our stories, the pain of that story is eats away at the fabric of who we are. And I really think it's about it's about time to tell our stories, yet as we tell them, to douse them in love. I love that. Douse them in love, our stories. That's fantastic. Mm. And not hold them in shame. So yeah. terrific, terrific. And tell us a little bit about your story because you really have a big one. You've You've lived some places, even though you're in Australia, that's not where we started. No, I was born in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, you know, and uh, I was born to a Pentecostal minister and his wife. Yes, absolutely. And I was born in a small town called Port Elizabeth. So if there's any surfers listening to this, not that I'm a surfer, it's near Jeffreys Bay. And um, it, you know, my dad was incredibly dedicated to his calling and my mum was incredibly dedicated to us as children you know she really made us her priority and I grew up you know as you can see people out there won't be able to see me but I have an olive skin and dark hair which is not dark today it's blonde it's dyed blonde but brown eyes and um <laughs> you know growing up in apartheid my uh, that's what we lived through and my dad used to uh, make sure that we would never go in the sun uh, we would never tan too much because if we did we'd go nice chocolate brown and the problem was um there was of course racial discrimination and separation which meant that people could question, you know, are we with my mum? And my brothers were fair. My mum's light brown hair, blonde, light brown, blue, grey eyes. My brothers are fair. And my dad and I were the only two dark ones. And so, you know, I think the story of belonging started there. Um, And, you know, growing up in a minister's home, bring on perfection every day, you know. I don't know if anyone there goes to church, but when you look at your minister, you expect him and his wife and his kids to be perfect and you forget that they're just a human like everyone else. That's right. And they didn't ask necessarily to be the minister's children. (laughs) Did not ask to be the minister's children and a, a dedicated, really godly man who was human. Right. And so, you know, I suppose my story starts and I, you know, especially start, reflecting on my story and my healing and before I get there let me let me just share this I started this practice of mine uh, 10 years ago in Sydney Australia after arriving uh, 15 years ago in Sydney with my two small children my son was three and my daughter was 11 and I was going I'm going to be determined to try a new life I came over on a skilled visa which didn't mean I was permanent. But I came over knowing that this is the country I'm going to make my home. And I'd met my now husband in Canada the year before, and he was living here. And I thought, well, I'm going to live in my home. You're going to live in yours. And if this works, that'll be great. And if it doesn't, 
I'm okay. And we have found a beautiful, loving relationship. Not perfect. I don't think anything's perfect. I think it's salted with life and it's inspired with love. And oh, so that took a lot of courage to move from South Africa to Australia. Huge courage, huge courage. English isn't English. I know we're speaking English to each other, but English in South Africa right. is not the same English as we use in Australia, which is certainly not the same English we use in America or in Canada. It's all slightly different nuances. Oh, slightly. I think it's very, very different. I went to Australia and got kicked off the city bus some years ago because these the bus driver thought I was being quote unquote cheeky because I kept asking him to please repeat himself and he was tired and I wasn't being cheeky. I couldn't understand what he was saying. There are words that are very unique to Australia. So I agree. You came over with small, small children. children. And really, even though English is the language, it's a different version. It's a English. different version. And I will share this with you. I'm into my job three months here. And the global financial crisis hits in 2008 and oh. I get made redundant and my my furniture hasn't even arrived on the shore because oh. I put a small container together and I'm sitting there going, God, what what is going on here? Like, you know, this job came up so quickly. I didn't enjoy the job truthfully because right. it was a culture shock not to be able to use your voice like you did in South Africa. So in South Africa, the women are uh, strong, direct, driving. I mean, I can use all these beautiful words and I couldn't be that here. I had to turn into the more feminine persona of who I am, which is not right or wrong. Interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting. And I'd come from a sales director role and I'd moved into an operations and training manager role here. So very different, but same kind of scope of work because I've always worked in behavior change. Nonetheless, I was one of those mothers who just don't lie. I don't take no. I make no into a yes or I turn negative into positive. And so I just searched and in two weeks I had another job offer and I was into another organization. Um I had to change my viewpoint. I mean, the settling in was hard. I cried my first three years. I cried. But there wasn't going back because I needed to keep moving forward. Um, Mm -hmm. Ten years ago, I started my practice, and I started it because it's called Ignite Purpose. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. I wanted people to be able to step into their life with purpose and joy, um, even though I'd starved myself of joy until that moment. So I think when I look at yeah when I look at survival I look at we 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 learn how to survive but our brain goes into the survival brain which means we it takes our brain wires us to walk through the most challenging situations but not from a place of being peaceful and open but from a place of surviving that moment. Right. You must know what I mean. Oh, yes. And so fear and caution and and all the things that have kept us living, right, stay with us. But it cuts us off from so many other opportunities when that, right. It starves joy. It starves actually being present with the children that I love so much, that I wanted a future for so much. Um, It starves me seeing uh, opportunities because all I start looking at is what life isn't. Right. And how I've failed and how I've keep got to keep going. So 
I call that time of my life when I really had to walk through some of these things and rise my ninja Barbie. You know, I really had to be tough. I had to just keep going. And uh, I remember when I started this practice, my now husband, I say my now husband because that's part of my story. I'm on my fourth husband. I thought I'd give Elizabeth Taylor a run for her money. Um, (laughs) You know, one of my coping behaviors is to be loved. Right. And because I couldn't love me. So I was looking for love and acceptance outside of me versus finding peace within. Right. So big. It's amazing you can say that and put those words to it too, because there are a lot of us who do one of two things. And I think you and I talked a little bit, and I know we're going to talk about it much, but you had a, a turbulent relationship at one point, you know? And so when you have fear in a relationship, you can either go one of two ways, which is, you can do the healing or avoid and find someone else. Exactly. You can and or avoid altogether. Just being in a relationship at all. Avoid it at all. So it takes an act of courage just to keep moving. And there are a lot of listeners that can relate to that because you know, many of us have met that person that kind of pulled the rug out from under our feet. So you've gone through that and now you were looking for love again. I was looking for love again. So The last 10 years I've healed. But just as you've said that, let me go to where uh, I'll just segue into what you've just said. When I met my first husband, um, he was in our community. We'd grown up together. I'd been friends with his brother, even though we'd moved churches across the country. They somehow had moved in that same direction. So it was just you was like, oh, well, maybe it's fate because, you know. Well, it was meant. It was, you know, you think, oh, it's meant to be. And you know what? It's not like we didn't have chemistry. The challenge was I came from a home where there was no drinking, no smoking, no, it was very strict, but very loving. I moved to a relationship where he didn't grow up the same as me, it, even though he'd been in the church, you know, because to grow up in a minister's home is a special place. Like, I could say special kind of crazy and special kind of beautiful, one of both, right? right? Because you don't know how to live in the world outside of the one you've grown up in. Anyhow, we we got married at 21, but before that we'd broken up, got back together, broken up, got back together. It was quite upside down, lots of stormy things. And then when we got married, um, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do this. But the challenge I faced was... I was trading being loved. I was trading parts of me, my worthiness, I was giving away. And I'd started really developing a codependency relationship with him through the seven years we were together from dating to getting married to divorced. um, I had given him control over everything in my life. And the moments of clarity I had when I was like, this is rubbish. I have to get out of this. I can't breathe. I can't speak. I can't. He would wait me, wait for me to to have my moment, and then afterwards we'd just go back to what it was. I mean, if I packed my bags, Elizabeth, he'd wait for me. Laugh, he'd be laughing in the lounge room, waiting for me. I'd be marching up and down, having a one of those tantrums at twenty one, as you can imagine, um, yeah. pregnant. I got them twenty one. Yeah, yeah, pregnant, cranky, um, and you know he was a professional sportsman so, and beautiful human physically. 
uh, six six foot seven, blue eyes, muscle from head to toe. Um, sportsman, everybody loved him. He was in our local community, and I was the little trophy wife that had to do as I was told. And because I fell pregnant on honeymoon, it was just a crazy time because he'd go do sports, and after the game, they'd always go out. And so I couldn't go out because I was so tired and 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 pregnant, and, and it, so I'd go home. And then he'd come home at two, three in the morning, you know, maybe three, four in the morning, and it was not something I think I was used to. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to love this man, uh, at the cost of me. Right. And so eventually, you know, the abuse and the verbal abuse and the mental control. I mean, I got told going driving on honeymoon, I'm going to give you the rules of what you can and what you can't do from now on because I'm the head of the home. Sister, run. <laughs> you know, who cares? You've just got married. That's kind of what I would say now. But run where? And, you know, shame holds us locked in cycles of doing the right thing. Shame of what our community will say, you know. Uh, you know, to be a bit good parent, you have to stay together. No, no. To be a good parent, you have to show your child what love looks like. Right. And so it was really stressful. I suffered PTSD in that relationship, um, but it didn't stop because I just kept compounding the behaviours. Because as you know, when you are completely um, I want to use the word shattered, yet I want to share an analogy with you where it's part of the okay. journey. I felt shattered and broken, and I felt that in order, if someone could love me, maybe I'd feel better, but it never helped. If I could get a good career, maybe I'd feel better. That didn't really help. I mean, money doesn't buy healing. <laughs> money doesn't right. buy healing. Love doesn't buy healing. Um who you know, it, and none of that actually allows you to heal. It's ex, it's external things. And um, so I went from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. I call it rinse and repeat. Uh-huh. I was rinse and, rinse and repeat, creating creating codependent relationships with people, handing over power, uh, supporting gaslighting, and then and obviously choosing a certain type of man as well. But I'm not saying they were all bad. I'm saying I was – at such a place that the relationship had to be in a certain way for me to function. Right. And that cycle needed to stop because uh, six years ago I was sitting with my son in a family counselling session because he refused to go to school because he'd been bullied. And Lisbeth, this was the time of my ninja barbie, so in I walk with all my suitcases. I've got a hire car, like a town car, as you would call it, going to fetch me in an hour's time. So we had an hour for this meeting. Let's get the show on the road. And um, I was very clear, very, very armored up. And she asked me, do you think you could work less and spend more time with your son? And my now husband was in that, and my husband is sitting there. I exploded and my PTSD came flying out like a volcano erupting. 
And I said to her, do you see that man there? He's got no obligation to take care of me. In actual fact, no man has ever shown any ability or desire to really love me or look after me. So you are telling me that I need to put my my life, my children's life in the hands of this beautiful man who I know has every intent to love me. But how can he ever do that? Because I've always been shown that no one will. Oh, wow. And I'm, was your son there? Oh, yes. And my husband. Oh, yes. Okay. It was terrible. <laughs> it was an explosion. Oh, boy. Well, you said it. How did it land? With tears. Oh. My husband knows my story. And it was what everyone needed to hear, myself included. And my healing was what what I was called for, um, and it wasn't pleasant. And I asked forgiveness afterwards, but forgiveness doesn't make it get better. I needed to get better. Right. I'll share this with you: mind body connection. Right? When your mind is not healthy, your body suffers. Right. Absolutely. And your mind doesn't get healthy when you isolate yourself from people. When you cut yourself off, when you are afraid to be with people, and I was afraid to be with people. As much as I was working with people in business, that's a very orchestrated relationship. It has rules. Outside of business, in life, I felt there were no rules. How do you be? And the gift is, as you heal your mind, so so I, I'm sorry I'm rambling, but I want to go back to this. When my mind was in such a state of survival, I suffered adrenal fatigue. Okay. So bad that I needed to stop working for three months and rest. Now, for a workaholic, that is the worst thing to ask them to do because it's a coping behavior. You're asking them to put down and actually spend time with themselves. Are you kidding me? I right. I cried in the doctor's office. That was nine years ago sobbing she said why are you crying i said because you're telling me i can't do what i love doing she said listen i'm going to give you what your choices are you only have two the one is you learn to heal and you get better or the other one is your children put you in the grave which would you like well that was clear enough oh she was so clear. Fork in the road. what will you choose good what do you choose what do you choose right. so i got home cried my eyes out told the family that i'm not going to be able to work for three months i watched my husband go a little bit pale because that meant he needed to let really carry us which has been one of his great learnings because he's younger than me but you know what he has stepped into the space of being I don't want to say the provider because I contribute, but he stepped into the space of being the compassionate partner. And isn't that. that beautiful? And as I've grown and healed, he's grown. And so in my previous book, Grow Me, I always talk about the change starts in you first. Always. Right. But the change... It's almost like you start waking up and then you realize you need to heal. Remember earlier I said that you feel shattered? If anyone's ever been feeling broken and shattered, that's how I felt. And what I've realized as I've continued to heal and transform is that my brokenness, I was never broken. I was just meant to go through a process where the things that I felt broken with would become the greatest gifts that I could give the world. 
Nice. I love that. Yes. I, I love to, I also work with people and I like to think that sometimes our big challenges can truly become our superpowers. You know, they can, they can become the things that help refine us rather than define us. And Ooh, so fantastic. Beautifully put. I talk about the process Thank of you. alchemy. It's a refining process. Right. So I love it. So I believe that the bigger our story, the bigger calling we have in our alchemy. Fantastic. That's so exciting. Isn't it just? So tell us a little bit about Ignite and then your the books that you've been writing, how you've been able to take these experiences that you had where you had gone through a pretty difficult marriage and then it was replicated a few times, but maybe not always as bad, no. but you got to the place where it's like, okay, the rubber has met the road. I've got to heal. Well, I'll, so I will do it in the exact order that you've shared. When I started this practice, it's a coaching training and um, alignment practice because my background is business to business. I go into organizations and I secretly teach them how to see each other and how to love each other. So that they can be better together. Now, that's not easy because we still have to navigate the rules of engagement. But what I do believe fundamentally is that each person, and that's why I go in as an alignment coach and I work with people on their growth and their healing. Of course, there's people that might not want to work with me and that's okay too. But because I'm orchestrating a change, I generally am the coach that works across the organization and across the team. Because if I don't, I don't always understand the nuances. Um, and the gift I bring is to hold space for them. Good. And the transformation in people's lives has been unbelievable. And I'll share this with you. The more I've healed and found grounding and love in me, the greater the transformation in my clients. The less I'm running towards gathering clients because the work is coming in and it's the work that I want to do not the work that I get paid to do. Of course, I get paid to right. do the work, but it's with specific organizations that I feel I can achieve that outcome with because I'm no longer running. It's beautiful. Fantastic. It's yes. beautiful. Uh, and so I started writing books. I'm on my fourth book, and the first book was My Son's Journey. It's Oscar the Pufferfish Owns His Pop, and it's a little bit about EQ for children, Um it's about a little puffer fish that pops, which is our amygdala in our brain. It's an analogy of that and how if we've got negative thoughts, we walk around protecting ourselves. But it's the story of this little fish under the sea and how he's, you know, hanging out with his friends, but negative thoughts and stories. And in the end, how empathy and love and his parents' joy and his friendships really make him feel peaceful. Uh, and the second book I wrote was my story, uh, but in an, a unicorn uh, Astra the unicorn finds her belonging and it was about my story and how I always felt I was different I wasn't a zebra I was a unicorn and I wasn't a monkey of course I come from Africa so I've got to use these analogies um, and how right. this eclectic bunch of different animals who have all embraced who they are embrace me for me uh, so I love that story. And then Grow Me is more of a journal and a guide to learning why the seven steps to why to grow. And then after that, my daughter sat down with me. She said, right, mom, it's time. You've got to start really 
doing this transformation stuff. And so I've written The Glass Angel, which is a three-part book. The first part is the story of an angel that gets broken. She's a glass angel flying. She gets broken by the wind and her her glass, her broken wings, uh, the shards of her wings she attaches to her body to carry around with her, like we all do with our pain. And it keeps right. piercing her body, reminding her of her pain. And she ends up in this amazing city. And in the city, she uh, gets taught how to be a warrior angel and use the shards of her wings to win battles and to be well known. And But she never heals. And they all are warrior angels and they all get taught how to hurt each other with their pain and how to rise and be famous and get wealth. But none of them have got empathy, joy, love, that sort of stuff. And there's always something missing. And she wakes up one night and walks into the desert. And as she's walking in the desert, there's a fire. And at this fire is an angel. And she's drawn to sit near near this angel. Um, not sure initially, a little bit skeptical. But as she sits with this angel, the angel tells them their story of how they were a mighty warrior angel and how they met another angel in the desert called Grace. And their name is Love. It's Ava. And uh, how with forgiveness and releasing and love and compassion and joy all the broken pieces go back into place into this beautiful tapestry and a kaleidoscope of wings that is the alchemy and that is the calling of what we've got to do so i've written that part that was part one part two is my story of domestic violence being molested as a little girl um ptsd but as i've told my story i have sprinkled love on every story so I might have pulled a story out, uh, which is a shame root, as I call them, lifted it out, right. shared what it is, because that's what it is. And then how I can look at that story with forgiveness, love and hope. Because we've got to start. It's not hidden any longer. It's not hidden. There's no shame to it. There is no shame okay. to it. And when I look at that story, I give myself forgiveness. I give my parents forgiveness if they were doing the best they could with what they had. That's all they had, so I forgive them. I forgive myself for not using my voice. I forgive those who judged me. I release the story with love. Right. So I share how to do it through taking people through my story. Um, yeah. And key elements, of course, my story is so big, I could have written volumes, but I've just chosen key stories that to me stand out as the key things that have kept coming up for me in my life and then in the final chapter of the final sort of part of the book is a, is an alchemy practices how to learn how to love yourself because you see it doesn't it you don't you never transform if you can't connect deeply with who you really are and accept yourself with love and so that's where the mind starts healing. So when the mind starts healing, the body follows. When the mind is in pain, all those stress indicators and everything that's going on for you just takes over. And I actually talk about that in the book, but very, very briefly around stress indicators and how my body's responding. And autoimmune diseases get, get you know, come to life from all of that stress. And sometimes right. we don't even know what it is. But I'm sick. Like I was. I didn't know what it is. I was sick. Right. And I'll share this with you. To be healed is a place of peacefulness. 
The other day I was driving with my husband and we were just sitting in the car and I was just hanging out. And I turned to him and I said, do you know what? I never knew what this felt like. To just sit here next to you and just to be peaceful. I was always like in an anxious place, waiting for something to go wrong. Looking at what wasn't happening, picking up on any of his moods, saying sorry because that's a PTSD. I'm so sorry. I'm so. Did you? Did I do anything wrong? Are you okay? I'll still do that every now and again because it's such a learned behaviour of protection. Sure. But when I do that, I go, oh, look at you, darling. Calm down. It belongs to them. You're safe. He's beautiful. You're beautiful. It's okay. We don't have to go there. Love it. You catch yourself being small again and feeling anxious and you're able to soothe yourself, which is such a big part of healing and an indicator that, you know, instead of reaching externally for something, you can do this. And you do. And I find I don't have to phone girlfriends and talk their ears off for hours and hours when I go through this. I used to have to do that because I needed to hear it, hear it. Now I'm recognizing it. I go, I might speak to one or two, but only to reflect and then I release. Because if I hold on too long, it becomes a protection pattern that I'll need to repeat. Right. And so the journey isn't not to feel negative emotions. The journey is to use the moments as learning. Love it. I love it. And such a great way to make meaning of all of those experiences through your writing, but also through your work. Absolutely. You know, it is very similar in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I'm teaching people not to get triggered by their boss, not to have overwhelming stress, not to feel that they can't achieve. And actually, we spend more time at work than we do at home. So imagine if we could turn our work life into something that's more joyful. Versus going into protection behaviors, isolating, and not being better together. Right. And we we have to find a way, or we've got to find our fireflies, as uh, Sean Acor likes saying. You know, if this is not your group of people, bless them with love, let it go, and go and find the people that you're best suited to bring out the best of what you have. There is no shame in that. We do not marry companies. We exchange contractual time for value. Right. Exactly. I love it. Well, where can people find out how to work with you and find out more about your books and your business? So, Lizbeth, I am working internationally at the moment. I've got my first client in Denver. Woohoo! Uh, that's so exciting thank you they're a global organization so I'm starting to coach in the US which is wonderful but very focused on organizations and C-suite leaders I think is that that's the space where I get you Um, but be ready to be challenged if you do reach out it's www.ignitepurpose.com.au my books are especially uh, The Glass Angel and The Human Stories are going to be The Human Stories are available on Amazon all my books are available on Amazon but The Glass Angel is also available at Barnes and Noble so this is very exciting and uh, you know our audio book gets released in a few weeks so if you found my voice fascinating I I am such a fan of audio books but so is the 
sales are really going up for audiobooks. Interest is only increasing with time. So what a great thing that you've got that coming forward. Congratulations. Thank you. And that was a journey of love because to read your story with such grace again and again for hours uh, is 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 marvelous. And I to read it in a way that I articulate it clearly for audiences with different from different countries. So, you know, it's coming out. Please, we've got our launch on the 18th of October. If you'd like to be part of it, we're running a US one, which will be early morning on the 19th. Elizabeth, I will send you the details because I'd love you to be there if you could be. And um, we're going to do giveaways for our mental fitness program. I'm going to do a coaching package giveaway of about $3,000 and some signed autograph books. So, you know, we really just want to celebrate healing, transformation, growth, and people, because people matter. Fantastic. I love it. I'm so excited for you. And I'll definitely have these links in the show notes so that people can see, uh, you know, what's happening and become a part of it if they like to. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you yes. very much. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. And to everybody who listened, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.